Welcome back, Richard. Today we are going to talk about, I think, what just about everybody else in the world is talking what about. What everybody else is talking about. Right? Yeah, it, and especially because of the Olympics happening, um, but also because uh, of, of us working in the, in the mental health field, this, um, the, the entire story around um, what's happening in sports over the past, you know, over the past few months um, right. is huge. And, and we just, we just have to talk about it. Right. There's this um, one strange confluence of elite athletes and mental health suddenly has burst forth this summer. Actually, right. started in uh, June when Naomi Osaka uh, dropped out of the French Open, and right. she was citing mental health reasons. Okay, the the for those of you who don't follow tennis, the French Open is one of four elite right. tournaments. It's one of four Grand Slam. That's that is the prize that all tennis players go after. Are one of these um, open tournaments, uh, right. and, and the French Open is one of four. And um, Naomi Osaka was ranked uh, either first or second, it varied from time to time, but she had been ranked first since 2012 and was, was one of the uh, favorites to win the French Open. And after the first match, she refused to, um, to attend the, um, the, um, uh, the press conference, you know, where they, oh, yeah. they question them and, um, and, and eventually dropped out of the tournament. And then, Two months later, three, two months later, Simone Biles yeah. did a similar thing where she suddenly uh, and unexpectedly, um, she was expected to go to the Olympics and win six medals, but instead she, she uh, faulted, uh, she made some mistakes in her, her routines and, and she dropped out of uh, several competitions. And I heard this morning that she dropped out of two more competitions yeah. um, in the Olympics. So we have these two elite um considered the best athletes in their sports dropping out of these hot, these um, very prestigious competitions for mental health reasons. And what's, what's really fascinating about it is that um, they're, they're dropping out in the middle of these, these competitions. It, right. it's, you know, we oftentimes think about, you know, the pressures and the stressors and, and maybe physical injuries leading up to, the mm. uh, types of competitions, but, but here we are in situations where they're in the actually competing. Right. And because of various things that have happened, some of the, which we'll talk about um, because of several things that happen, they're, they're withdrawing and, right. and they are, they're pulling themselves out of the, the competitions. And, and it's um, uh, of course, we're going to talk about it from the perspective of how brave and how courageous these women are to, to make these decisions amidst all these pressures. Um, but it is staggering the, the negative responses that, that they have received, um, you know, from, from fans and from, you know, other athletes. Um, it, it is, it's really breathtaking. Um, the, the negativity that you see with this. Right. Yeah. So you have, if you take the case of Naomi Osaka, uh, the condemnations were swift. I mean, they right. were immediate. I mean, they were caustic and they were unrelenting. She was called weak and self-indulgent, narcissistic, mm -hmm. selfish, immature. And those are some of the kinder words. There were other nastier things, of course, on social media. Right. And the criticism all seemed to center. Um, she, she, she cited 
her mental health. And there were two things in particular. One is she's had social anxiety since childhood and she's had bouts of depression since at least the 2000, she won the 2018 US Open. Now she's, I think 23 now. So she was about 20 or 21, young kid. Um, when she won that, and she beat Serena Williams. There's a story here. She, she defeated Serena Williams in the final and had Serena Williams won that match, she would have been the all time winner of Grand Slam tournaments. And so she needed one more match and everybody there was hoping that it would occur at the US Open, which is played in New York. And it would have been this crowning achievement. Well, as it turned out, Naomi Osaka beat her and she was being booed and criticized because everybody wanted Serena. The whole crowd, there were thousands of people there before the pandemic and thousands of people all cheering for Serena. So here's this 20 year old kid, you know, she's a college student essentially, you know, right. like a sophomore in college and she's playing the world's best player and beats her in this, um, in this context. And so she suffered with bouts of depression since then. Now, the criticism was swift because what people cite is um, Naomi Osaka is worth $60 million. I did not know this. She's worth $60 million, um, according to Forbes magazine, and $5 million of that is from tennis. <laughs> so, so she's making her money. So this makes her the highest paid female athlete of all time, you know, right. which I didn't know. <clears throat> now, you follow football. Uh, soccer. Soccer. Mm-hmm. They say that she's the 12th, she would be the 12th highest athlete net worth in the world. Now, I think of those soccer players. Yeah. They make that in a year, don't they? Well, my, my, they, um, there are some who make a tremendous <clears throat> amount. And, and even, with, uh, even with baseball, um, you know, there are a lot of baseball players who make right. a lot of money. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how they decide all of that. I don't know how they um, how they how they measure those things. But right. yeah, I mean, there 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 are players who who make um, hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. Right. Yeah. And and it just surprised me that she would be twelve. So I looked up Serena Williams, and Serena, and I say this, uh, I have to catch myself is only worth. 25 or $30 million, you know, only worth 25 or 30 million. You'd think she would be more, but it's a, it's a pit. And so anyway, here's this most highly paid athlete in the world um, suddenly drops out of this tournament, citing mental health reasons. And what she said was she couldn't submit to the post match uh, press conference. And she said, the reason is, is because it introduces doubt in me, in my game, in myself. And she said, I just, I just didn't have the fortitude. She said, my, my anxiety and depression were being triggered by the, by the pressure and the match and everything. So she opted not to do the post-match press conference after her first victory. As a result of that, she was fined $15,000 by the French um, Open Committee. And all of a sudden, the entire French Open became about her. And right. about her decision. And so rather than keeping herself in the spotlight, she eventually withdrew from the tournament altogether. Okay. Um, and as it turns out, um, she, she did the same thing. Now, she did the same thing at the U.S. Open. 
so she's really struggling with her mental health, clearly struggling with her mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. When she dropped out, Coco Goff, who's uh, uh, also a ranked tennis player, Venus Williams, Serena's sister, Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, mm -hmm. um, actress Carrie Washington, her sponsor Nike, and the National uh, Association of Mental Illness, all um, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, all supported her decision. Mm -hmm. They all came out. In fact, and I didn't know this, Michael Phelps produced a documentary in 2020 focusing on athletes' mental health, mental wellness. You know, he's had some struggles right, right. Um, with mental uh, ADHD and some other, th and, and depression. Yeah. And he said the same thing you said. He was shocked by the negative backlash yeah. and the criticism that she received for taking care of her mental health. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> we talk about the anger that this unleashes, and people were really angry at Osaka. And so there have been some studies done that showed that 50% of millennials and 75% of Gen Z had changed jobs or left their roles for mental health reasons. Um, this is 50% more. These are new things. This group, this, these generations are treating their mental health differently than previous generations. Okay, they're, they're acknowledging it, they're doing something about it, and for that, they're being criticized. Right. Yeah, I think that, um, and we've heard this over the past, I don't know how many years, you know, people have questioned, uh, is this group of, um, you know, is this generation, are they weaker? Are they, um, are they more entitled? Are they, um, you know, do they just want to be taken care of? Or do they need to be nurtured? Um, do they, you know, are there issues with their parents? And, um, you know, what was it about the way they grew up? And, and they, we see and have heard all of these, you know, accusations and all these statements about this generation or these generations um, over the past, I don't know, five, 10 years at least. Um, and, and I think at, at some point, in some ways, you, you have to say that you have to give them a little bit of credit for being in tune and aware and willing to say, you know, this isn't going to be good for me. I, I need to change jobs or I need to stop what I'm doing because and, and listen to their mental health, listen to what's going on within them um, because they know it's not good for them. And so the anger, this anger that was produced in, in us as mental health um, professionals, it produces a couple of questions. OK, so first of all, are they really weaker? Are they really self-indulgent? Are they really? In, is that what we're dealing with? Is that really what we're dealing with? Are they weak compared to previous generations? Because the second question that comes up is, are they, did they just grow up in a different world? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I always say, I don't know, I don't think I could have attended the schools that my children attended. Right. When I went to school, we had recess mid-morning, we had recess after lunch, and we had recess mid-afternoon. And then when we got home, we got to play. Uh, we didn't have a lot of homework when right. I went to school. My kids didn't have recess. They didn't have, they, they didn't go outside. They right. even had to do um, academics during lunch. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I would have done very well in that kind of a system. Right. So this generation 
has grown up very differently. We, I'm going to even talk about social media and the effect that it's had. Okay. And the other question that comes up is Osaka was criticized because she didn't want to do the press conference. Right. Okay? Because people said, well, she's obligated to do that. She's contractually obligated. It comes with the territory. If you're going to be a professional tennis player, you have to do the press conferences. Okay. And that's the case with, with most sports. There's, right. there's an obligation for a certain number of players. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a if it's a team sport, there's a certain number of right. players that are supposed to be available to talk to the press, um, and it, of course, in individual sports, the individuals are supposed to be there to talk to them. Um, but I, but I think it's you, you know the the question is you know yes it's 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 good for TV, it's good for people who are That's watching, right. but but is it really good for the players? You know when I coached soccer, um, my club had the um, had the sort of policy that parents, uh, you know, coaching kids. So even with coaching kids, the obligate, the, the, the um, priority was finishing the match and then recovery. And the policy said that parents could not, were not to approach coaches with questions about the match until the next day. You, you had to wait 24 oh, hours before you could even okay. approach the coach with questions right. um, or concerns or issues or whatever. Um, part of that is to, to sort of let some of those emotions die down a little bit and, right. and allow things to process. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, after a match, everybody's sort of jazzed up a little bit. Right. Um, but, I, but I think another issue with it is, um, and not that we're necessarily going in this direction with it, but, you know, the press, you know, um, Osaka, she, she said that, um, you know, that the, the press has always been kind to her. Um, and most, you know, most athletes, I think most athletes would say that that said, they ask questions that are very pointed and very, um, accusatory sometimes. Well, why did you make that decision? Well, you know, it was like, a, a truly a nanosecond that I had to make a decision. Um, and it wasn't like it was a, you know, that you could had all this time to think about it. So I, I think that um, the idea of backing out of some of those press conferences, it totally makes sense to me. There were other athletes. And I think one was a soccer player who said, you have no idea how difficult it is because your adrenaline is coursing through your body. I mean, the match just ended. Right. It takes it takes time to recover. And we have all seen American football players and coaches mm-hmm. get angry during press conference. I don't know how they do it. I mean, uh, even even coaches um, uh, like Nick Saban, who coaches Alabama, has won national champions m- most often makes. But if he makes one little mistake, mm-hmm. he gets raked over the coals. He hasn't even had a chance to talk to his players yet. I mean, right. the game people aren't even out of the stands and he's already being um, quizzed by the press and the press can be unrelenting and they can ask questions and they get them out on the field, right? You know, they're still in the field. They hadn't even left the field yet. Sometimes if I was a football coach and it was halftime and you're headed to the locker to talk, you have 15 minutes. Okay. You have to do everything in 15 minutes and you have to stop and get quizzed by Mm -hmm. a sportscaster. Now that makes good TV, all right. right. Again, it. but it's not good for coaches and players. No, I mean, so just because they're 
Just because we currently have a contract that says you must do the press conference, it doesn't make the press conference right. right. And it doesn't make any of this the right thing to do. And I think what we're looking at now is, is it really, is it more important for a person to take care of their physical and mental health or to have good TV? To me, that's part of the question here. Is it, this is all about good TV. Right. This is not about what's best for players. Right. And I think that um, one of the assumptions and, and we make this, these kinds of assumptions I mean, parents make these kinds of assumptions about kids. Uh, Most people, many people make these kinds of assumptions about athletes um, Mm -hmm. that they are, you know, look at what they're doing. They get to play a game for for a career. You know, um, they are top athletes and everything. What do they have to be depressed about? Or what do they have to be anxious about? Or what do they have to complain about? Um, She's worth $60 million. So what is she, you know, what is this to her? Um, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, when it comes to anxiety and depression by the, in and of themselves, we're talking about 20% or so of the population mm-hmm. who at one time or another experiences depression and or anxiety. Um, and we don't control when those things hit us. I think that's, that's the key here is that these depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness, we don't select, we don't choose. This isn't something we elect to have happen to us, they strike when they strike. Right. You don't invite them in. Yeah. And we think and so, of, yeah, we can think of like famous people who exactly. we know had serious mental health problems mm-hmm. who, who ended up um, either, you know, dying from suicide or substance abuse overdoses, or, you know, e- even many who are s- still alive, but struggle with substance abuse um, problems and things like that too, because of their mental health conditions. Um, and it's, it, so it doesn't have anything to do with success. It doesn't have anything to do with money. It has to do with <clears throat> their mental health challenges. And, right. you know, and it just raises the, the point that we really have to make sure that we're taking care of that. We're attending to that as these women did, these, these, right athletes did. That's right. So while it's easy to criticize Osaka or Biles, you got to think about, think about Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade. Were they weak? Are they selfish? Are they, um, did they, are they entitled? No, these are mental illnesses uh, working their way. um, These three people didn't invite the mental illness in. It just, it occurred and that was their decision but it, it doesn't make them, them selfish, certainly. Right. Um, so that's Osaka. Now, if we switch to Biles, um, who is, some people consider her the greatest athlete of all time. Okay. Right. And so there were a, a, a raft of articles about her. And on the surface, at least, you know, we see Osaka in June drop out of the French Open and then the US Open. And now Biles is dropping out of the Olympics. And we think, what are we raising here? What is this? What is this generation? These biggest sports stars are dropping out. But what we have to remember that just a decade ago, um, this issue wasn't even discussed: uh, the, the mental health of athletes. Okay, right. um, if you had them, uh, if you had any difficulties, you weren't allowed to talk about them because you right. you risk everything. Um, if if um, if you mention anything about mental health or mental illness, um, so some is it, so so people are asking now, 
Um, are, are these athletes weaker? Are they different than athletes in the past? Yeah. And many argue that they are, that they're weaker, that they're self-centered, that they're narcissistic. But I think there are a couple of things we should remember about this, okay? One is that we were never allowed to discuss mental health or mental wellness in sports in past years. Right. If you did, um, you were considered weak, defective, unreliable, okay? And to talk about mental health, mental wellness, mental illness, if you were an athlete, um, how about this, gender orientation, if you were an athlete, okay? Any of these things, you opened yourself up to stigma, rejection, um, you weren't, you were kicked off of teams, you were discriminated against, you were harassed and abused. And that's what you were inviting if you talked about these things. Right. It, it makes me think back to, and I cannot remember his name, um, the, the Olympic diver. Um, right. And, and the stressors that he underwent um, and, you know, all that, all that happened with him. And, um, and, and I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care who you are, um, but, you know, she, Biles, she did not, she is not the self-proclaimed greatest athlete of all time. That was, that was a title placed upon her by media, by analysts, by whoever. Um, I could not imagine, you know, you, you look at some of these people like, you know, look at the successes of Michael Phelps. Look at the successes of some of these other Olympians and other athletes um, from around the world, Usain Bolt. Um, you, you look at some of those successes that these guys have made and have had over the years, and then you're going to say, oh, you know, you're, what, 22, 25 years old. Um, you're the greatest of all time. <laughs> and now go to this competition and, and compete against other world-class competitors. Um, but don't feel any pressure. I, I couldn't, I, 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 that would be, that would be really difficult. I mean, these gymnasts, they're teenagers. Yeah. Okay. Simone Biles is old at 25 and she's 25. She's an elder statesman. Okay. So, so number one, let's not forget before we start criticizing these athletes, let's not forget that this was forbidden. You were not allowed to discuss this stuff just a few years ago. Number two, Everybody talks about, well, years ago, you know, they were tough and they were this, but today's demands are different, okay? Today, an athlete like this has to make public appearances. They have to do competition, many more competitions. I mean, every sport now has many more games or matches than they used to, okay? There's a travel schedule, there's a training schedule. You have to keep sponsors happy. You have to do press conferences. And you have to deal with social media. Okay? Right. These are, there are multiple pressures today that 10 years, even 10 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, when you talk about Jackie Robinson, when you talk about um, any athletes 20 or 30 years ago, they didn't have to put up with all this stuff. I mean, in my generation, football players go in the locker room and smoke cigarettes. Right. Nobody knew that. But they did. I mean, it wasn't talked about, but they would drink beer and smoke cigarettes in the locker room while they were changing after a football game or during halftime or during halftime. It's a completely different world. OK, right. today's athletes have a scrutiny. Somebody mentioned that one of the athletes mentioned that, that, you know, years ago. No, it wasn't. An, it was an actor who's playing in um, a, a new movie. And he said, you know, um, 
you know, 20 years ago, this wouldn't have mattered, but today it gets splattered all over uh, social media. Right. And that's a pressure. That's a new pressure that previous athletes didn't have to endure. Right. So before we start criticizing, let's think of the world that these folks, that she's participating in. We're going to talk about that later, but they're in a very different world. Okay. Yeah. Um, we also have to remember that though they're, these athletes and, and, and other celebrities, it's not just athletes. We glamorize them, we glorify them. We want them to be special and to be different, okay? But they're not. They're, they're humans with the same risk factors. Well, I, but I think that the other thing is, is, is that there are many people who want them to be flawed and, and then they highlight and emphasize and, and create memes uh, with those flaws. And right. so uh, again, that, that idea that, you know, you always have to be on, you always have to be perfect. You always have to, you know, it's a pressure that most of us can't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, you know, with, with some of these athletes and celebrities, if you mess up one time, you know, if you're, if you're Tom Brady mm-hmm. and you throw an, throw a bad pass and make an inter- throw an interception at the wrong time, think about the, the, the implications of that, not just for that game, mm-hmm. but for, from, you know, in social media and uh, yeah. media in general. Um, so yeah, they are idolized and glamorized and, you know, we put them, they're put up on these pedestals. Um, but th- there are a lot of people who are very eager to knock them off. Exactly. And they know that. Yeah. They know that they're waiting, oh, yeah. they're waiting for every, they're waiting. Everybody's waiting for them to make a small mistake you know, to make a wrong decision, to do, to make an error, okay, to throw the wrong pitch. Um, Billie Jean King, uh, who was also a tennis star yeah. in the 70s, um, yeah. so that was, you know, 50 years ago, once said, pressure is a privilege. It only comes to those who earn it. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. Right. The, the, the higher you go, the more pressure you feel, as it should be, Okay. But Billie Jean King played and worked in a different time. Right. Okay? Um, she didn't have social media. She didn't have, somebody brought up the other day, well, what about Jackie Robinson? Imagine what he had to put up with. He had to put up with discrimination. I don't diminish what Jack, I mean, my, I couldn't, I don't know that I could have done what Jackie Robinson did. Okay. Sure. As the first black player in baseball. But he had to deal with a single issue. There was no social media. There was very little TV. This wasn't broadcast all over the place. He wasn't quizzed every time he went into a new city to ask how he felt about this. He did. He sort of did it in private. Okay, and and the same with Jesse Owens. Somebody said, "Well, Jesse Owens had to go to Germany with Hitler. He went to Germany in 1936 before we knew Hitler, um, and he had to compete as, compete as a black man against the super race. But that was a single problem he was dealing with. Okay." He wasn't questioned after every race. He didn't have cameras and Facebook and, and social media um, after him. So as a spectator, I agree with Billie Jean King, but I also know that it's very different today than it was in the 1970s. Right. It's completely, athletes and celebrities are in a completely different world today. Right. I, and, and I think that, you know, um, I think that there's a big difference. And again, like you said, you know, with, with Jackie Robinson and Jesse Owens, not, not diminishing what they experienced no. and went through in any way, but 
Um, you know, you look at um, Jackie Robinson and compare him to um, Colin Kaepernick um, and what, what they are going through. And again, what Jackie Robinson experienced was, was, you know, it was, it was unimaginable. Um, But, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, I I don't even know where he is now, but he couldn't even play. No, he was banned. He was banned. He took a knee in support of Black Lives Matter. Okay. Um, He took a knee during the national anthem to highlight uh, police brutality. Right. He, he was banned from football for that. Right. Okay, because he made that statement. Now, oh, people are taking a knee at the Olympics this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, they are honoring um, black people who have suffered, um, and they're making a statement. They're not being kicked out. They're not being banned. Right. So, Colin Kaepernick lost his career because he made that statement. But he was right. Everybody criticized him. Uh, in fact, the president of the United States had a particular word that you and I can't use in this podcast to describe him. And um, he was soundly criticized and banished from football. Nobody would touch him. No football team would touch Colin Kaepernick, but he was right. Mm-hmm. History proved him right. Also, um, concussions. Yeah. You know, there was a time when, oh, you got dinged, that's okay, shake it off and get back in play. Yeah, these guys are dying of brain damage today. Right. Okay. Um, so we, we made a mistake. Targeting. Um, if you watch old films, uh, not too old, from the 90s and the early 2000s, the vicious hits that football players did to each other, that was physical. That was an assault. Okay. Right. But when, when the targeting rule came out, I remember uh, football fans saying, oh, what are we going to do? Start playing flag football instead right. of, you know. No, they were right about targeting. People ended up with spinal cord injuries. People ended up dying. And they ended up in wheelchairs because of targeting. Targeting, getting a player out of the game for targeting is a good idea. Didn't seem like a good idea at the time, but it right. seems like a very good idea today. So some of these things that we criticize at the time, um, a few years later, um, maybe it was the right decision to make. Okay, And so we need to keep these things in mind before we start criticizing these high performance athletes. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, back to, to thinking about Biles and, and her situation with the Olympics, you know, it's, it is one thing to, um, you know, to feel the pressure into the physical pressure of having to perform and everything. Um, But again, that, that media coverage that, and, and, um, sort of emotional pressure that is placed upon some of these athletes, you know, months, sometimes a year before the competition. And it just, you know, it just kind of surfaces and resurfaces and resurfaces, you know, this, this big move that she was going to, to do um, that nobody else could do. And, you know, I, I, I don't care, you know, no matter how strong you are, if every day you hear that, you're expected to do something that nobody else in the world can do, but you're expected to do it. And you're expected to do it perfectly. You're going, that's going to be a lot of pressure. That's going to be a lot of, um, that's going to be a lot on your emotional and mental well-being um, to, to hear that um, and to feel that pressure. Right. And so we have these two women 
um, both removing themselves from competition, citing mental health reasons. Osaka gets really severely criticized, but by the time in June, by the time we get to August, Biles was initially criticized, but it was quickly tempered by um, support. She began to get support immediately from um, fellow gymnasts, from the media. Yeah. And so just in that two or three month period, we start to see this change, okay? And that I think reflects a change in perspective that is going to ultimately be good for sports. Okay? Right, yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you look back to June with Naomi Osaka, she was, she was fined for saying, I have mental health issues. Okay, right. I'm sorry, I have mental health issues. She actually got fined. She eventually took herself out. But um, when you think about that, you know, when you think about that, isn't that kind of kind of harsh, you know? Hey, look, right. I can't do this right now. Okay, then we have to find you $15,000. Right. That's the kind of stigma we're talking about. Right, and, and even though, you know, you have the overall um, response shifting, you know, you still have these, I, I read a report this morning um, about a, you know, this, this UFC fighter who was a former Olympian who, um, you know, was saying that, that what Biles really needed was some tough love. And she, you know, she needed to just push through it. And, you know, if it was, if she was my sister, you know, this is what I would be telling her is that she just needs to basically just needs to get out there and do it and do her job. Um, and so you, you have, you know, this dichotomy of people who are supportive, her trainer, um, Bowser's trainer was even supportive. I'm so glad that she did that. She said that when she saw her perform, right. she said she was relieved when she heard that Biles um, was going to, was going to pull out of the competition. Um, but then on the other end, you, you hear these other athletes who are saying, Oh, you know, we've all been there. It's fine. You, you know, again, the pressures are very different in different sports and in different places. And we're, we're all individually, we're different. That's right. Right. So, so what Biles essentially wanted to say to people was athletes are people first, you know, I'm sorry, we're people first. We have the same issues as everybody else. Right. And every once in a while, this kind of stuff happens. And that's essentially what she wanted to say. So what she does, what Biles and Osaka have done is they have, not purpose, they didn't do it intentionally, but they have raised mental health awareness in sports, okay? We're, we're beginning to take a different look at mental health in sports. We have a different look of the danger of some sports. We have a different look of what Colin Kaepernick did. So we're getting now a very different look at mental health awareness in sports. I did not know this, but even the International Olympic Committee um, has developed um, consensus statements about uh, sport mental health assessment tool and uh, mental health recognition tool. And we have now have concussion protocols for uh, professional and college football, but well, for every level of football. And so there's, there's a, a growing awareness of mental health. In fact, one woman, one woman wrote an article, a physician wrote an article, and she said, there's no physical health without mental health. Right. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because you and I have been saying yeah. they're the same thing. 
Right. We've been saying that for years, that right. there's really no difference between mental health and physical health. Right. We tolerate physical illness. We don't tolerate mental illness. There's a, there's a false dichotomy there. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and we are seeing a, a significant increase. Um, you know, it was a, like, I think two World Cups ago, I, I think it was, um, when uh, Brazil, the Brazilian national team, um, you know, they brought in a sports psychologist to work with their, um, their national football team to, in preparation for the, the World Cup. And um, because they knew that the pressures and, and everything that, and, and even then there was a lot of, you know, criticism of, you know, what's wrong with this team? You know, why do they, why do they need a sports psychologist to come in? Um, but now, a lot of teams, even even club teams in in Europe and in England um, and around the world, they're using sports psychologists now to help their play because they know that w- without sound mental health, you're not going to get sound physical health, and you're not going to get sound performance when right. you're when you're in these high stress, high pressure competitions. Right, right. And gymnastics, more than any other, is a, is a notoriously punishing sport. I mean. Yeah. If you talk to any gymnast, they'll talk to you about their injuries. Right. None of them are without injuries. Okay. Right. Um, and um, Allie Raisman was in the last Olympics. She was a gymnast in the last Olympics. And she, she talked about this issue and she brought up the case of Carrie Strug, who in the night, some of you may remember this in the 1996 Olympics, um, she had injured her ankle, but she did a second vault on that right. ankle and um, was carried off by her trip. She, she sprained it the second time and had to be carried off. And, and this was like, this is Olympic grit. This is Olympic gold. This is how the Olympics should be. She was carried off by Larry Nasser. <laughs> and you all know Larry Nasser as the physician who sexually abused all these girls for years and years and years. Um, today, um, today, that looks less like a heroic sacrifice um, and more like a career ending. That ended her career. That right. was a career-ending injury. So yeah, we can idealize that and we can, but but do we have a right to mm-hmm. expect that of our athletes? And some people say, yeah, that comes with the territory. I'm not sure that that putting yourself in danger. Now that was an ankle. There are gymnasts in wheelchairs. You can break your back. You can break your neck. You can break yeah. bones. And there are serious, serious injuries um, associated with gymnastics. Not so much tennis, I agree. But in gymnastics, this is a very important decision. And yeah. so while Simone Bias's decision um, didn't bring the kind of victory that we hoped it would bring, it did accomplish that this next generation of gymnasts are going to be thinking about their mental health in right. ways that we didn't before their mental and their physical health. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think that, um, I think that another thing, another thing I hope comes out of this is that we will work to teach athletes and everyone to be more cognizant of their mental health in right. their mental health status. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was, you know, she was attuned to how she was feeling. Um, mm-hmm. She had the, um, the, I think she called them the twisties, um, but it's, 
you know, in, in other um, sports, they're called the yips or, or different things where you just can't do the fundamental right. action that right. you need to perform your, 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 um, your event. And, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, being on the um, parallel bars or the, um, you know, the beam or something, and you're in the air, you're flipping and t- twisting around, but you lose your space. You use your place mm-hmm. in, in, in space and have no idea where you are. You could really get injured. Right. Um, as it turns out, when, when she talked about mentally, she wasn't, um, she was having a mental problem. What it turns out to be is, is the twisties. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what Jim is called. And the, this is a serious issue. When she performed her floor exercise, she did two things. She did a vault, she did a floor exercise. Her fellow gymnast and coach knew that she was experiencing this phenomenon. They mm-hmm. could tell from her performance that something was, that this was wrong. And they knew immediately that she was suffering from this condition called the twisties. They call it what they call in gymnastics. What it is, it, it is a mental block where a gymnast loses their body in space. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're flip, like you said, you're flipping and turning, you have to have some sense of where the floor, how far away from the floor you are. Right. Um, what I used to say to my students is, in order for me to reach across the desk to back, grab my coffee cup in my right hand, I first of all have to know, I have to have some sense of where my right hand is right. and where it needs to go. That's called proprioception. Right. That's what a, every once in a while a gymnast will lose their, their body in space. Mm-hmm. And they, they will either do, they will try to do things that they shouldn't do, or they will do less than they can do. It can work either way. When Biles was on the vault, Instead of doing a, I guess instead of doing a double um, flip, she did a single, and and that's when people first real other gymnasts said, "Oh, she looks like she has the twisties." Okay, mm-hmm. the reason she dropped out is she knew that she couldn't trust her body sense anymore. Right. She knew physically she knew she could do it, but she said mentally there was this disconnect right. between her body and her sense of body and space. And she knew how dangerous it was. Simone Biles does things that no other gymnast can do. In right. fact, they don't even know how to score her. The, the National Gymnastics Committee purposely scores her lower because they're afraid if they give extra points for her degree of difficulty, that they're gonna encourage other gymnasts to try to do this and most of them will never succeed and they'll probably get injured. She can do things nobody else can do. And they're literally life-threatening things. And she knew that she had the twisties and couldn't continue. Right. So what should she do? Do it anyway for the good of the US of A? Do it anyway for the Olympics? No, you don't sacrifice your life for that sort of thing. Right. And again, you know, we see this in lots of other sports. Exactly. Uh, These other sports may not be uh, performing at the Olympics, um, but, but we see them again in other sports, they call them the yips um, or, or, or something similar to that, where, you know, a, a golfer forgets how to swing 
his club, a baseball player, you know, can't, you know, has a difficult time. Look at how, um, you know, some of those videos that we see of baseball players, you know, trying to throw the ball across the infield and the ball hardly makes it halfway, but it's just the body doesn't behave the way that it needs to behave um, because we had that disconnect. And so it happens and we know that it happens. In baseball, we talk about hitting a hitters get into a slump. Yeah. Where they just cannot hit the ball anymore. Right. And it lasts for might last for a few days, a few weeks, might last for a whole season. They just they just can't get it right. And we call that a slump. Okay. In gymnastics, they call it the twisties. Yeah. And so so that's why she dropped out, is <laughs> that was to protect herself. Yes, it was mental. Um, so before we're too critical, we need to think about these things. Now, speaking of criticism, as I was looking through these things, I wanted to see what are the critics saying? What are the real critics saying? And I found this thing called Osaka and the Snowflake Rebellion. Yeah. And there was an article written called When Safe Spaces for the Coddled Young Move from College Campus to Tennis Courts. So this was an article written by uh, Everett Piper. He was a former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Not a Daycare. And when that book, came, I remember that book when it came out and I agree with him. I don't think the college campuses should have trigger warnings. College campuses traditionally are places where you are questioned, where you question your beliefs, where you stretch a little bit, where you're exposed to things that you were never exposed to before. One of the advantages, you know, you, you take students from small towns across America. Um, I, I taught at the University of Texas and you take students who, you know, there might've been 10 students in their high school graduating class. They played eight man football because they couldn't get 11. They didn't have enough students to have 11 players, okay? Suddenly they, came, they come to Austin and it's a complete, I mean, it's a culture shock, but it should be a culture shock. It's supposed to be a culture shock. And that's what Piper was saying in his book, Not a Day, colleges are not daycares. Right. You're gonna be challenged, okay? And if you, can't, if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't be here if you wanna be safe. So we're not making safe places. I don't disagree with that. But today, Piper is a conservative commentator. Not, not political, but he's also now has become a conservative commentator, okay? And um, while I agree that university campuses shouldn't be daycare centers, he, he says, I wonder where, I wonder where this statement comes from. Because he wrote, our precious little darlings who were being coddled at Berkeley and Brown would soon graduate and take their immaturity and childish demands for safe spaces with them. What he was saying was, if we coddle them in college, they're gonna bring that with them. That sounds very angry to me, and I don't know why he picked on Berkeley and Brown. Um, They're pretty good universities that produce (laughs) graduates. Brown has the lowest acceptance rate of any college in the United States. About four or 5% of applicants are accepted. Um, John Kennedy was a graduate of Brown and some other people, but I don't know why he picked on them. But then he goes on to say that in 2021, we have these Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. We have these Mary Shelley-like monsters that we've stitched together in our postmodern laboratories, otherwise known as our public schools, are alive and well and demanding 
that we make them feel good about themselves. So now all of a sudden he shifts to our public, it's the public school's fault. The reason Naomi Osaka dropped out of the French Open was because of our public schools. And then he goes on to say, consider this month's blue ribbon winner in our nation's nonstop race to the mythical land of tolerance, affirmation, and self-worth, Naomi Osaka. So he gives us uh, this award. And he said, the reason she dropped out, she needed to retreat to her safe space. Well, that's not really what happened. Okay. Right. First of all, that's not what Naomi Osaka was doing. Okay? Right. And then he goes on to what's to blame. And he cites another article that says that illness is narcissism and it has a clear cause our terrible schools and their terrible teaching. Yeah. And I thought, I, th my first thought was imagine what teachers just finished their most difficult year ever right. exposed to a pandemic that could kill them right. doing online in class, all the pressures that they had to put up with. But the reason Naomi Osaka dropped out of the French Open was because of our terrible schools and their terrible teaching. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we do have to like make sure that people know that the, dif the difference between being safe at a university and safe spaces. You know, when we're talking, they're talking about safe spaces, they're talking about, we shouldn't be challenged. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't raise questions about what we believe or what we think or what we feel, you know, um, as opposed to like physical safety and like, you know, that kind of safety, um, you know, safety from, you know, racism and, and that kind of stuff. Of course we should be safe from those things, but we should be challenged and we should be pressed to think beyond what we've thought about before. That's the purpose of college and university, but that's not protecting your mental health. Being wanting a safe space is very different than saying, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be able to handle this because of the pressure, because of where my mental health is right now. I'm going to, take a break or I'm going to stop competing right now. Those are very different things. And to blame teachers and schools for that um, is, is baffling. I mean, I, I feel like we're pretty critical sometimes of school systems. I right. would never say that, you know, our schools are, and teachers are, are making people into snowflakes. Right. That's right. Call them snowflakes. And I don't, I mean, look, I said, I agree with Everett Piper on we're not daycares. I totally agree with him. Right. I totally disagree with him and Salerno, the other author, that this is all, that the elite athletes are doing this because they're products of our, our educational system. I mean, it's more, first of all, it's more complicated than that. You can't distill this to one thing. You can't distill it to bad teaching. You can't distill it to narcissism. You can't distill it to self-indulgence. This is a much more complicated issue. There are many reasons why this is happening. These athletes are growing up in a different time than, than anybody remembers. Right. Um, and these are mental health issues. And it's time that we begin to treat mental health the way we treat physical health. Um, there's another woman, Megan Rice. I don't know whether we, we included her article or not, but... Um, but she said the same thing. She wrote an article. She said, the lesson Simone Biles just taught us, question mark, mental health is health. 
that you can't separate the two. And she said in her, in her article, she said she was very disheartened by all the criticism that Biles and Osaka got because um, mental health is not something you choose. It's not because I'm being selfish or self-indulgent. Mental health happens and it's bound to happen to athletes as well. And what Biles said is we want to walk out of here, not be dragged out on a stretcher or anything. Um, so let's do what's best for the athletes. Let's do what's best for these athletes. Okay. But I don't want, I don't care whether it's the Olympics or the friendship. I don't want any athlete to risk any kind of injury for my entertainment. Right. They're not gladiatorial games. These are people who have to take care of their mental and physical health and, and the, the winning and the gold medals and all that are second. Right. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, as we, as we're wrapping up this week, um, we're going, we're going, sorry, folks, we're, this is a little bit longer of a podcast than we've been doing recently, but, um, but the, the message I think that we're trying to send is that, um, you know, we have to be careful when we compare current generation, the, the more recent generation with past generations, Right. Um, th- th- there is a big difference. The world was different. Um, the expectations, the demands, the um, requirements were all very different then than they are now. Right. And whether we're and we're t- that's true whether we're talking about athletes um, or we're talking about your kids in school. Um, the demands that are on on kids and, and people now are very different than they were 40, 50 years ago. Um, and so we need to recognize that, you know, just because someone is experiencing a, a great deal of pressure and decides that they need to stop or they need to take a break or they need support or treatment, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're weak. It doesn't mean that they're a snowflake. It doesn't mean that they are incapable. Right. It just means that they are aware of what's going on and what their limitations are. And they don't want to put themselves at risk, whether it's physically, emotionally, or, or socially, you know, they That's don't, right. they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to, you know, experience that harm. Mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, you can imagine today, uh, people are going to go to work on, on, on a Monday. Imagine the, the, the numbers of people who are going to jobs or going to do something that, that they not that they don't want to do, that they're really incapable of doing because right. of their mental health issues, but they can't say anything to anybody. Right. Okay? Imagine people who get up and say, I cannot go to work today, but they go anyway because they can't say, I need a mental health day. Right. We don't acknowledge our mental vulnerabilities, our mental frailties. We, by, we all have them. I mean, don't tell me that you don't have mental frailties. And, and I think it's, I think it's fascinating. That's, that's a great point because how many people ourselves or how many people do we know who've gone to work and it's like, you know, I'm just sort of calling it in today. I'm just here. Um, I can't, I'm not, they're not really getting anything. They know they're not going to get anything mm-hmm. done, but they're, they're just there because they have to be there. Right. You can't do that in an Olympic competition. No. Right. You right. can't just be there. Right. That's right. Um, you can, I'm sorry. You can't do that in um, third grade. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. That's right. You're not allowed to get up in the morning if you're if you're an elementary school student and say, I just can't face it today. Yeah. You're not allowed to do that. Oh, you got to be tough. Right. Yeah. 
so so we got to be aware of that. Absolutely. So so we need to yes, coddle people. No, but let's at least acknowledge what these women have shown us is that despite our wealth, despite our accomplishments, despite our elitism, we are all still human. We're first of all we're human. Okay. Um, and so there's nothing shameful, and there should be no stigma attached. I would about taking a mental health day. If you have a headache, you don't. You can say, "I, I can't come to work today. I have a I have a sinus infection." Well, I can't come to work today because if I do, I'm I'm risking more serious damage. Whether it's mental or physical, really doesn't matter. But we have this. Well, you got to be tough. You know, Bernie. As you were talking, I was thinking. You remember the days when residents, medical residents, had to work eighty hours a week? Yes. Which is expected. Oh, we're tough. We're tough. Wait a minute. It's tough and all that. But you have people's lives, literally have people's lives in your hands. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting only three and four hours of sleep periodically and you're working eight hours a week, you, are you going to be bringing your, your best game right. to my care? You know, right. The answer is no. You're right. tired and you're going to make some bad decisions. So there's nothing glamorous about a, about a medical resident working eight hours a week. And they're finally beginning to say that. Right. We're, not, we're not good at this when we're working 80 hours a week, okay? We, we never work, okay? Right. No glory in that. And there's no glory in risking this um, for, for any reason, okay? Absolutely, so. Time, right. time, it's 2021, so let's stop, let's stop struggling with this issue. Absolutely, I agree, so. All right, well, I think that's it for today. Um, keep watching and enjoying the Olympics, those of you who are watching and enjoying it. Um, and hopefully we will, um, we'll continue to talk about this because it's, it's important and, um, you know, it raises good awareness of things that we need to be aware of. All right. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.